You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because I can only do so many millennial music challenges on TikTok before my brain rebels and I really have to find something better to do with my time. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Rowena Miller. I'm Marsha Ryan Moreska, and this is episode 74, Fuck, Mary Kill, World Building Edition. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of World Building for Masochists, and we are going to have fun today, I think. But before we dive in, uh, Marshall, I, I feel like you have some news. I do have some news. As of when this come out, my 15th book, is that right? Yes, that is right. 15th book. Y'all shaking your heads at me. I'm shaking... I'm shaking my head in dismay <laughs> that I... at you and your prolific qualities, not... <laughs> Not at the number itself. I'm pretty sure you're right, but... <laughs> but my 15th book, The Assassins of Consequence, will have come out by now. I think it came out two weeks ago when this came out, when this is coming out. And it is the latest in all the Meridane books. It'll be the fourth book of Veronix's part of the Meridane saga. And it's a fun little romp where horrible things happen, as you know, <laughs> as is... As is so it's as fun our, until it's horrible. Exactly as are as are so many as are so many of the books that I write, um, in which uh, Veronix uh, gets exposed as the thorn, and every person he's ever <gasps> dealt with is like, "Ooh, now we can get him," and and it's going to be a load of fun. And he has, you know, he's fought a lot of enemies over the last few books, and now he gets to fight all of them. <laughs> So it's, no. it's like an ensemble no. cast of horrible things. Yes. Wonderful. So, okay, I'm going to ask, what is your, like, favorite little geeky small thing that you you popped into the book that you're just like, I love this. It makes me happy. Let's see. There is a new, like, secondary antagonist who is first introduced in this book that I hope to keep using as you know as the series goes on who is an absolute delight to write because he is an utter magnificent bastard <laughs> and, and so he only has Excellent. a handful of scenes but in every one of these scenes he is just completely in charge of the scene and just like I'm telling you what's happening and then how it's going to go and you you just are it and it's beautiful he's like one of those wonderful secondary characters who will like take over the entire book if you let him and you have to like exactly go rein it in come on hold it back they, pretty much the only thing keeping him from taking over the book completely is on some level he's fundamentally lazy and would rather just sit and drink coffee and let chaos happen around him and be like, I could have stopped this. But why? Chose not to. Excellent vintage. <laughs> Pretty much. So he was a really fun character to write and hopefully hopefully other readers will love to hate him as much as I do. Yay. <laughs> so yeah, that book it is available in all your electronic book sale places because this book is being released right now as an ebook only hopefully sometime in the future that will change but that's 
the state of this business right now and this podcast is not about the state of the publishing business so no. we'll we'll not dive into thank that thank god because it would be a much angrier <laughs> podcast if it was it would i feel like we would have a lot more people cranky at us too and I try to avoid that. I really like that we give our guests a place to come and not be cranky and just be like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to have a good time talking have fun about with us. world building shit. Yeah. Geek out with us. Fun. Just... Speaking of fun, do we have another piece of fun news that we I, might want to? I think we do. I think we do. This, this may be something y'all will have seen within the last week or so going, uh, going live on the intertubes. And I'm sure we will all be very, very loud about it or will have been loud but we'll continue to be loud about it for quite some time and it might be even why you're listening to this episode for the first time ever in that we were once again nominated for the hugo for best fan cast thank you so much listeners we are humbled and overwhelmed by the vote of confidence and appreciate so much your nomination and your listening and you make us not cranky about the world of fantasy writing and world building and all of that so thank you yes we're extremely happy and extremely grateful to all of you who have done this who have helped get our name out there yeah our i mean our fan base is just freaking incredible the discord i can't even keep up with it anymore like i can't i can't track all the conversations i sort of pop in and out but it's amazing i mean the the fans there and if you are unaware we have a discord community it's linked on our website um if you're a discord type person go join they bounce ideas off each other they sort of you know float test balloons on their world building ideas it's it's so cool i love that they're that into it Yes, if, if you listen to this podcast and you think, wow, these dorks are my kind of people, have we got even more of a community <laughs> have we got a few hundred of, them? of your kind of people? <laughs> and it's it's a good time. It's fun. So come, it's great. come hang out. And I also want to thank all of our guests from, well, I mean, all of our guests ever, but particularly any guest that was with us during the year 2021, which is the year that this nomination is for. Just a banger group of people that have come and talked to us and let us pick their brains and... Um, had very silly conversations with us, silly, silly and serious, and often both at the exact same time. Yes. Which I think that's one of my favorite things about about doing this is that we get to talk to amazing people and we can be both silly and serious about these things because that's the writing biz. That's you got to have that balance. Absolutely. And we did have an absolutely fantastic group of people come willing to talk to us and willing to, to geek out and have a good time and and play our silly games with us. Um about world building. Um, I just, I love seeing all the different angles people bring to it and it has been an absolute blast. So thank you again, guests, listeners, fans, nominators, everybody. And now we should, we should have some fun. Yes. Explain to us the fun we're having in this particular episode. So we realized it had been a while since we did a um, live world building. Let's play in the world that we're creating. And we have a ton of topics that we've, we've, played with, um, I mean, since the beginning of the podcast, but even since the last time that we really did this. And one of the things we've been talking about um, a few times in some of the more like craft kind of episodes that we've done is like, how do you choose what to focus on in world building? How do you decide this is going to make it to the page? I'm going to spend a lot of time on this. And what came to mind was the, uh, the fun game, Fuck, Mary Kill, where you get three options and you gotta slot each one into one of those. So the fun that we're going to have is throwing at each other topics that we've covered in in recent history or reach back, I'm cool with that too, 
and say, so for your little corner of the world that you're creating, which one of these is fuck, which one's marry, and which one's kill? So which one are you going to have fun with? Which one are you putting a ring on it because it's going to be a tent pole? And which one are you going to say, I am barely going to pay attention to this. In fact, I'm going to whack it on the head of a spade and then dig a hole in the backyard and get rid of it because I don't want to deal with it. Sound like fun? Yes, although the way you phrase that makes me both want to ask and scared to ask how the editing's going. (laughs) (laughs) What's your backyard look like right now, Rowena? (laughs) Pay no attention. Pay no attention. There's nothing behind the goat shed. That's just, I was planting bulbs. Yes. Lots and lots of tiny red bulbs. (laughs) Yep. All good. Where are we with this bizarre world that we have? I mean, we've got We've got super great question because <laughs> we've got the full world. Says now. the person who keeps swearing she's going to put together a master document and <laughs> hasn't yet. I mean, the big thing is we've you know we've got a whole world map and we've got a little bit of definition in each of our specific areas, and the rest of it is sort of this vaguely hand wavy like and other other civilizations. It's like Gilligan's Island and the rest and the rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's other civilizations throughout the world that are their own thing, but everybody's vaguely in the same place and technology. Given ourselves and... room to grow, but we yes. did each claim a corner of the world and said, this is my space, and we built it out with a bit more detail and and whatnot. So I think our kind of tent poles in the world where we're at is it is a world with with human intelligent life. We didn't do any other kind of stuff for them that we had decided that was that was a thing it has magic and each corner of the world has its own magic that is kind of tied to the geographical space so that's happening we are at a technological level where we've got like age of sail and exploration and all that kind of stuff but we haven't gone too far into a modern era yet and we have the magical nudity gate truly is the thing that links our whole world together and it's why i feel like sooner or later we're gonna have to start fleshing out some of the other civilizations because we've got this whole web of people connected by nudity so (laughs) at least at least at least brief i I love that it, it, it is morphed to like that the gates are more about just being naked rather than necessarily the fact that they're these transport things that can easily go from like one side of the world to the other in a, in a snap but the fact that doing so leaves you naked has become the primary function of these what can we say it, ma- it makes it sound like in any moment in any civilization in the world just people Bam. might be might just snap naked people and that just... I mean that is always an exciting way for, for I mean, life it's not, to go it's <laughs> It's not like random naked teleporting. It's right. specific locations. We've established this. And I mean, that- I, just, I, I love the way this concept has expanded. It's something that our Discord community has also pushed us on to be like, wait, does hair count? And, and like where we've come to, I feel like, is that, you know, things that have, have become part of the self are considered part of the self. So like hair, tattoos, the food you've eaten go with you. Yeah. Yes. And it's not necessarily a strictly biological, like, thing about, like, living matter versus dead matter. It is the sense of self, the, the piece is, of is it, self. Is it actually connected to the body in a way that cannot be easily, easily like, 
yeah. easily shucked Withdraw. from it, the body. It doesn't leave you just fully exfoliated or <laughs> And very hungry. Scientists are very working hungry. on that. The magical depilatory gate is forthcoming, however. <laughs> In terms of like the whole world world building, it is very much a big tentpole kind of concept that so much of how the rest of the world works is centered on this concept regardless of how absurd we feel like getting with with that because right because so much else yeah. is defined by how your cultures are positioned on the the nudity gate pipeline and how well you use it and what ways you decide to use it or not use it and so a lot of a lot of the world is then centered on the, on those ideas i think it's a great example too of how something can change from perhaps a minor concept to a tentpole because I feel like this started out as a fuck concept and then we had to put a ring on it. I mean, <laughs> we thought this was a fling and then we were like, wait, there's potential here. Yeah. Well, and, and it's the kind of thing you, you can't fuck around with it. Like you, you can't have <laughs> a magical nudity gate. You can't have some magic form of, of transportation in your universe. It's linking up all these places and then kind of make it like a, oh, it's just a sideline. It's just a, like, no, that's going to fundamentally change how your world functions and operates. And I think the fun thing that we can kind of play with a little bit is that for each of our little corners of the world, there are probably things that like for Cass's spot might, you, that would fundamentally change things. Whereas Marl's, Marshall's snail eating people would be like, yeah, we can work with that, I guess, whatever. So I think it, it, it's interesting how, you know, there are some things that are universally like, nope, that's going to be a tentpole and some things that culturally you can you can play with. You can have some. I just realized we didn't actually properly explain it this time in case we have new listeners who are then completely confused of what the heck we're talking oh, about. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so I, I think we should each introduce our worlds yet again. But also the, the magic nude gate, what it actually is. So the idea is like, that oh, okay. <laughs> because I mean, because context clues they probably figured out some of it but it is it is verging on one of those you know podcast in jokes that that doesn't get it properly explained. which i hate so <laughs> thank you for backing us up um so the magical nude gate is the idea is that over throughout the world there are a series of gates that instantly teleport people from one place to another and that it's a network almost like you know subway lines of what connects to what but in being teleported to the other place you can bring nothing, you know, only living things can go through it. So when you end up on the other side of the gate, you have, you know, no clothes, no weapons, no nothing. So you just appear naked on the other side. And they're also, we also talked about how they're like limited in how many people can go through at any one time. So the idea was it, it allows for sort of instantaneous transportation and communication with everywhere else in the world, or, you know, that to some degree, everything can be connected but things like shipping goods or waging war that still requires you like load up a boat and go somewhere and so and so the idea that this can help create a world that's maybe less full of colonizing assholes because it's easy to go and talk to people but not as easy to go and ruin their lives one one could only hope one could only hope in theory that's a, that's a good way to put it. And it does sort of help. It's it's a little bit of a backwards explanation because we had sort of begun from a place of no asshole countries. Right. Um, at least not major asshole countries. It was, it was helped along with the ge geography of the space, which is very... Yeah, yeah. Interconnected. and But it also sort of helps to under to underpin that, to give that a reason for being why this world is like this. Is that it's... I mean, you almost think about it like 
if you do have to go to war by like actually loading things up in comparison to the ease of just stepping through the MNG, it's like, man, that seems like a lot of effort. That's, (laughs) it just seems really hard. Yeah. Not to mention, like if you load up your boats full of people and start sending them over, somebody is going to go through the gate and be like, they sent a boat with a bunch of soldiers and it's coming here. So like by the time the, boat with the soldiers get there they're ready for you they're like there's no there's no element of surprise in that (laughs) there's some fantastic magical nude gate espionage stories just waiting to be written on an espionage level you can have so much fun with this concept but on which again i think makes it interesting because it 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 then again takes these sorts of concepts of like there's going to be a big battle or a big war and sort of takes it off the table not completely but it it makes it a less optimum methodology for problem solving within the world it does make me wonder if like and we haven't mapped it out yet and someday we're going to but it makes me wonder two things one like when this gate system came into being and we've talked before about the need to figure out you know exactly what's connected to what but it makes me also wonder if like the size of nation states is in some way correlated to the locations of these gates like are you more likely to have more small nations in a geographic region that has more gates because you would have that like that ease of contact and like but in some other areas like there aren't a lot of gates if there wouldn't be anybody to notice the army and go warn somebody like (laughs) then you could take over that neighbor before anybody noticed and so maybe that's like over the centuries led to if a region doesn't have a lot of gates maybe it's a larger geographic larger national unit that makes sense, or am I rambling? I'm not no, sure. I, no, think I, think, so. I think this could go a lot of different ways too. I like the idea of like over time, what role do the gates play in terms of like determining the borders of nations and are people fighting over that territory because you want a gate and you want that gate because it's a hub gate. And by the time I think we get to our era, that's probably kind of settled to some degree, but maybe not. That's probably a topic well, for it, a different episode. But but it, I feel like it connects to the you know the deep history episode we did a little while ago that thinking about that thinking about like how long has it have these gates been here how has it shaped the nations over time who was the first if there person was, to stumble and... into an mng and pop out on the other stumble side, out the other side new very confused, confused. <laughs> it certainly would have been a thing that over time's like oh when you go through that big stone arch you you end up on the other side of the world and then you got to find your way back somehow and but then it does it does invite the question, like, did somebody build these stone arches, and when, and why, and, or are they somehow, or are they somehow, I just said stone just off the top of my head, but what if they are, like, organic-y? What if they are, what if they are, like, big fungi things that, you know, that, and the reason why it's this network is because it's a fungal network that spreads throughout the world. I mean, Marshall, you already have I already have, have a mushroom, mushroom magic world. Mushrooms, mushrooms, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I sort of like the idea of them being, like, the, the, the portal itself is some natural magical phenomenon, and the gate gates have been built around it to mark where these things are. Because I just like the visuals of that. Because then each nation's is going to look a little thing. different. Ooh. It's going to look more like I, it's going to look like the aesthetics of that nation. All right. Okay. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a thing. I think that we each need to introduce our areas for this episode. Anyway. There we go. So, what does your area's magical nude gate portal decor 
surround what what it what do they do what does it look like and how does that link to your particular little corner okay so my particular corner is is a nation state we've been calling griasta griasta is sort of a mediterranean warm state which is very libertine in its in its methodologies and morals it's a very it, it, it's a great place to visit, maybe not a great place to live, but, um... Oh, would we say that, though? But, like, it's... But it's it's kind of a party town kind of place. It's the kind of place where, you know, there's there's the island that grows the the, the, the hallucinogenic snails that everybody is... Everybody is a big fan of the hallucinogenic snails. And it's, it's a very sort of loose city-state culture where... Everybody, you know, is happy to get high on snails or get drunk on wine or have sex with whoever you happen to cross by and no particular rules or 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 moral mores about who and in what combinations. And beyond that, I mean, we've we've had some other. But those, that's the big ideas behind behind Griasta. And. I feel like they would, I mean, they would mark their gates because you don't want somebody high on snails to just wander through the gate. <laughs> and they were never heard from <laughs> They were from never again. heard from again. <laughs> so you at least want some sense of warning. <laughs> but I think, but I think they do make them sort of like central public areas. Like it's like a public square and you build like a fountain area. Maybe not with water, but like what would look like a fountain, like white stone to make it look like, like here is this majestic place. So it looks very artistic and, and impressive. And, and then also it's, but it's going to be right in the middle of town because they want, you know, people to show up and just be like, here we are. And what, you know, what's cool to see now that we're here. And they want to be able to use it also pretty easily too when they use it as an exit so that's that's how i see it. they make them these these lavish public spectacles of a place like it Cass, how about your your fjord folk my fjord folk my not well not not fjords really it's it the nation is fjolnir and i've described it as sort of like the nile river but in a cold terrain so this nation is very very long and not very wide they basically exist around this one super long river that they have and i'm thinking that this is going to shape a lot of like what their the, the hub gate they have is and and how they use it and how the nation's grown around it they are a very industrious people they are sort of dictated a lot by their terrain and their climate um they have access to some good um some good material goods they i think we decided provide a lot of the world's paper and a lot of the world's ice from from further up the river um, where the tundra area is but they're very focused on on production and industry. They are, I've described them as a nation of Virgos, very organized culture, which doesn't mean they don't have fun. They just don't have fun the way Griasta Man has fun. <laughs> and they have fun, you know, they have to schedule their fun. They're like, we have fun during this week and then we go back to work. Because if you've ever seen a Virgo go off the hook, they can go off the hook, but they have to plan for that first. I say this being half of, I'm half a Leo and half a Virgo. And so like my Virgo half is the half that remembers to put the ibuprofen and the bottle of water next to my bed before I go out drinking. And this is an entire nation of people who do that. <laughs> they love words, they love rhetoric. I, I gave that to them as well. I feel like they're, they're, they're hub gate at least. They might have another spoke gate like further up the river, but their hub gate I think is old. I think is really, really old, probably older than the nation state of Fjallanir. And so I think 
it has probably a really like Nordic look to it. Like it is, it has got those um, ancient runes and ancient carvings. But around that, the the Fjallanirees or Fjallaniri, I'm not sure what I decided that their collective noun was. Um, have built they they built a nice house. They they built a nice little um, area for it. And and when you first step through, you're in a very private area. It is well heated with probably like geothermal like stuff, hot springs and things because that's that's where they get a lot of their heat in their cold climate. It's kept warm because you come through naked and it's a cold area. So they want to, you know, they, they don't want you to get the, the temperature shock. Frostbite in unpleasant places. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. As soon as you step through. So the inner chamber is really, really warm and cozy and there's a nice robe. They keep robes in there waiting for you. You put the robe on. <laughs> probably signs on the door being like please put robe on before you open this door (laughs) and then like the next room out there's a nice attendant who is there to help you pick out some real clothing to to go out into the world wearing (laughs) some some you know nice chemise and doublet and and whatever else you want to put on um once again there are little buttoned up people but it's also quite cold there so no trust me griasta man you want to put some pants on (laughs) you you can ignore me if you want but you'll be back in here fast i'm pretty sure (laughs) So why don't you put the pants on now? Save us all the trouble. And, and we'll see you later, okay? Yeah, just put the pants on. That's probably... They probably have to pick very kind people to work in this place to deal with people who don't <laughs> want to put pants on. <laughs> this is what their kindergarten teachers do when they're... I think at one point we described Fallen Year as, like, requiring a nudity airlock. That, like, you come to the <laughs> kind of, yeah. and it needs to yeah. be, like... <laughs> That's why. We've got the chamber with the robe, and then the next chamber has the attendant... And then maybe you get to go outside. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Actually, maybe there might be another chamber that's like sort of the concierge. Like once you're dressed and fit to be seen, here's the person who will give you your city map and direct you towards the person you're trying to find because we don't want you getting lost because lost people become untidy. Is it is it the concierge or is it customs? Like is it... You know, one might be on one side of the hall and one's on the other. But like, I feel like they would be a lot more like... Who has come in and we're keeping track of that? Whereas, Probably, yeah. Whereas in grass, it's like, hey, somebody came through the gate. Who? Was, I don't know. It'd be really <laughs> tough, too, because like you can't bring identification yeah. with you. So That probably drives the fallen Yuri nuts. Probably. You can't <laughs> identify this person. But we're going we're gonna to take down who you are and what you look like. And uh... I just realized they, they might just have like sketch artists in that room who like <laughs> their whole job is getting. Well, has, the has developed fingerprinting technology like far ahead of its time. Because... Right, we're going to know who came here, to... why they came here and to what end. What's your purpose? What's your, are you here for business or pleasure? Pleasure? Really? <laughs> no one does that. We have lots of books. Okay. People would come for pleasure because they have books. They have all the paper. They have lots of books. And our hot springs are amazing. So there. <laughs> I like I like how they have a very ancient gate that they've they've mm-hmm. kept the surround of the original gate like out of this kind of tradition or or whatever. I like that. Well, I realized, yeah, like I realized a, a while ago when we were talking about our lands that like their religion is one thing I haven't touched on really, which is weird for me because I love dealing with um, religions. But maybe there's something to that. Maybe it, maybe it weaves in there somehow. Maybe there's something about their religion that was like, we will not tear down what is what is here of this gate. We will build around it. There's something special yeah. about the original. I don't, know. I don't know. We haven't had like a real deep dive into religion episode, have we? In... Not in a while. Not no. a long time. Y'all did it in year one before did, I was on. We did, but... but we haven't come back to it since. I feel like that would be a good, a good 
We should do that. revisit. So I feel like my people in Elmont Lear would take the opposite tack of of not of like 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 Cass's people are leaving up the ancient stone, you know, ru- you know, not not ruined, but it it could be right at home in a ruin somewhere. And I feel like so Elmont Lear is an archipelago, kind of semi-tropical islands, because um, we love an archipelago. And um, they are kind of independent to some degree um, island states that work together as kind of one nation. Their, their nation name means concert of states. And um, they are very heavily involved in trade. And there's a lot of money. And there are plantations on these islands that are mostly like growing luxury goods, spices, and fancy crap like that. So I think that wherever their gate is, whatever island it's on, probably became like the, the biggie island at some point. Even if it wasn't the big island, it became like this is, this is the important island because it has the gate and maybe if they have more than one there's some jostling about that but i think they've got like one gate that that's kind of like their or at least one central hub gate that's like yes they have a an hub important gate that is important and i think that because they they rely on trade they have a lot of money they are constantly redoing the surround for this gate to be like whatever the newest like modish style is and they're using all kinds of bonkers materials for it like this we're going to redo the gate with a carved teak wood motif now because that's fashionable. We're going to get rid of this this marble inlay mosaic. It's so one hundred years ago. It's just <laughs> totally out. Maybe we'll put it in the museum. I don't know, but I think that they're constantly kind of redoing that. And I think similar to Cass's people, they're very big on hospitality. So when you come out of the gate, you're not launched right into needing to like interact with people right away you kind of pop out and there's like maybe there's some 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 cool water or or some tea sitting there and and you've got your robe so you're comfortable not that we're upset about it but we want you to be comfortable also don't show us your bits we want you to be comfortable um and then once you're comfortable then we'll, we'll get you set up and, and get about your business because I'm guessing that they are expecting mostly people who have somewhat important business or, or networking or things like that to be coming through the gate. So they want to kind of put their best foot forward. I love the fact that Rick, I mean, with each of these cultures, we've at least set up the idea that there is some degree of infrastructure, even if the nature of that infrastructure is going to be very different. But I imagine there's got to, there would be places in the world that there might be like a tacked up sign that just is like warning gate. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some gates that like don't go anywhere good, and that's just like what happens. Like you've got a gate that kind of pops out into some like Arctic tundra where no one goes and no one lives. It's just like and, and there's no gate back. Or there's one that like takes you like <laughs> yeah. Or there's one that like literally all it does is take you from like one side of a field to another. It's like, it's like I we're not sure why the magic decided this gate needed to be here. It was important. Mm-hmm. Why just been a magical typo or something and but i think there is like a big question there of like what is the extent of the gate infrastructure like are there like are there dozens of gates are there hundreds of gates are there thousands of gates because there can i mean how that is laid out is creates very different choices for the world i feel like we have homework and that homework is (laughs) make a map of the gates 
And we need to do that in order to better understand this because you're right. That's like a really important question. How does this, like how extensive is it? What kind of, how much hubbing do you have happening? How many of these do you have? It's, it all changes how you interact with it. And our gates, are they, are they all two way gates where it's like they link together or is, or the gates like you have to, you know, you go through that one way, way, but but the reverse trip takes you somewhere else completely or, or where you come out on the other side. That's, that's just an exit. It's not an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> you have like, like the, the exit only on the interstate where you're like, you can't get back on from here. Yeah. I'm like, sorry. I'm, like, you're in absolute, you know, East County nowhere and good luck. Have fun. Well, in the ones that we're describing like hubs, if they connect to more than one other gate, how do you, can you control which one you go to or do you have to like wait for the right time of day to end up in one place and not the other like we need to decide that right too. like is what or what we are calling hub gates does that mean a lot of different gates deliver you there but not necessarily where you go from there like is that mm. is that a common destination but not a common exit point interesting or do or do exit points shift over time or moon's phase or or what have you? That would require charts, Marshall. I know I know you'd be excited about that. Are there researchers <laughs> like working on like how can we affect the 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 input or output of a particular gate? I feel like we're at that mm. point with like the technological level of our world that there would be people working on these questions. Like how trying do you to tinker with this? it, trying how do you to like figure this out. Like yeah. Why does it work this way, and how can we use it to our advantage? And how can we, ex- yeah, how can we expand it? And then there'd be like the counterculture groups being like, "No, don't fuck don't. with the gate. You could break it." <laughs> right. <laughs> the gate is sacred. Do not mess with the gate. You can go play with that one up in the tundra that no one wants to come in or out of. Okay, go do your experiments up there. <laughs> yeah, get on it, Shackleton. But then again, people were like, "No, don't even do that." Because we like the whole thing could just be a bunch of eggshells, and if you you know <laughs> screw with it, screw with one, the whole thing shatters. And I think you you would have the pragmatic like don't screw with it, you might mess it up, and you would have the like the belief systems built up around it, right? Like this is this is sacred in some way, this is holy. You don't screw with this, you don't mess with it because it's something that is given to us by whatever belief system that we have. Don't go messing. Don't question the will of the gods. Yes. Just, <laughs> they gave us these gates. They do these things. Just leave them down. Yeah. To, to take that idea and then add on the gift that Pong Shepard gave us of that there is a culture of navigators of, of the gates. That, you know, these are people who either, like, have the maps of all the gates tattooed on their backs or otherwise, you know, deeply emotionally, spiritually, what have you, invested in the gates themselves like how how do that how does that idea manifest within each culture or is it is the navigator like its own world subculture that is pulled out from every part of the world and how they interact with the gates is is their own thing are they born or made Ooh, or just is it is it like a lifestyle choice is it a calling that you yeah know? did where did it come from did it come from some corner of the world and then people kind of like begin to 
like, yes, this worldview, this lifestyle choice is something that I want to adhere to as well and kind of becomes like a worldwide movement or these people start moving all over the place because they're navigators and they can and it's kind of a diaspora situation. Right. And then does each culture just have their own unique take on what a navigator is or like are they their own special order? That's That, that I think is a big tentpole kind of question. Oh, I so- I sort of like them as like a Knights Templar organization. That... Yeah. <laughs> well, and then because you can you can have that, you can have your cake and eat it too, because you can have them as kind of like a Knights Templar organization, but each culture has their own way of viewing that and of engaging with it and is being part of that something that is valued or honored or is being part of that something that's like Weirdsmobile or is it just kind of like, sure, you can be a plumber or you can be a navigator, whatever. Like some of them, like it is considered like this calling you do, but some of it, it is this sort of deeply spiritual. These are a sacred thing that are part of our world. And for some people like, no, I just want to know where everything goes so I can help people get where they want to go. Like let's, <laughs> some people are going to be pragmatic and like, let's, let's, you know, let's. All right. So let's, let's, let's fuck, Mary kill this one for each yeah. of our, of our regions. So we have a Knights Templar type organization that's like, this, this brotherhood, sisterhood of navigators that exists in the world. How do your people engage with that idea? For that, for your part of the culture, is this fuck, marry, or kill? For Griasta, as with so many things, it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I mean, on brand. On brand. Um, so I think for them, it is a thing... Like, they consider the navigators to be honored people of note. So, like, there are, like, there are special places within the city for navigators to, to you know, cohabit together and work together. And then, and they treat them as respected, knowledgeable people. Because for them, the ability to get to where they actually want to get and have the people that they want to find them find them is a very important thing because they are they are basically a culture of extroverts so they i think they deeply honor the people who facilitate that and so for them it is i don't want to say they're treated almost like priests but they have that sort of veneration given to them and it's like when you see a nun at the grocery store like you're kind of like like oh None. I I haven't thought about you in a while, but you know. But okay. Thanks for the reminder that you're there. Yeah, that's good. So I think I think they they give them a lot of you know, and I don't think a lot of Griastans necessarily find themselves living the the navigator life themselves, but I think that they have a deep deep respect for the navigators and like the work that they do. And so it's not so much part of their culture, but they welcome. They well, I mean, they welcome all travelers, but they especially give give a a extra extra mile sort of welcome to to the navigators and make them feel like what they do is important. They've got a reverence. Yes. Do do some young Griastans like aspire to be navigators? I think. I mean, I think some do, obviously, and. I think they want to know they they are I mean I think they are an intellectually curious people even though that they are you know 
I mean, they're they're kind of many, like many a, many stones people are. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of like a college that's always on spring break, but it's still a good college. <laughs> so I think that they are very intellectually curious about the gates, and thus the types of navigators who are the sorts that are like wanting to figure out more about how the gates work. How can we, you know, how can we expand it? How can we make a new gate? How can, you know, or is this just a natural phenomenon? If so, how can we understand how it works? Blah, blah. Like that's a place where they are especially welcome because the Griastans are just as intellectually curious and don't treat the gates as, as something sacred, but something useful and interesting. And anybody who can then facilitate more use and more interest is, is, is an honored person. I like it, Cass. How about, how about your people? I think Fjallnir's going to marry this concept because it seems like a way to bring order out of chaos. And they are all about that. I can definitely see this being a world where, like, the the idea of having a, a someone from the Order of the Navigators in your family is like having a bishop in the family was for, like, you know, Western European medieval nobility. Like, I bet it's entwined with their power circles. It's not like a exact part of their power structure but it it talks to whatever their governmental power structure is and it, it gives you some um some power and some authority if you've got navigators in the family they probably really honor them and they probably spent a lot of time trying to get like the information the navigators have written down and codified and and all that good stuff yeah, they care a lot about it i like it so i think for alma lear as a writer it would be a fuck concept because it would be really fun to play with because I think for the Alnut Leary, it's a kill because <laughs> they are an island nation. So navigation's their thing already, right? And they want to button up the influence that these gates have because their whole thing is trade and diplomacy and all this kind of stuff. So to them, these navigators are kind of in some ways like competition and maybe in some ways seen as a little backwater because I, I, I guess I see the the Leary as being very like, like, yes, we have like the technological advantage and we know how to navigate all this stuff. And we've, you know, we've, we've got like our sailing charts and our constellation maps and everything. And all you have is bumbling through gates. So I think that there's a tension between like who is actually controlling the gates in Leary and the government and any kind of like merchant guilds and and speculation and things like that and but you probably have people who are fascinated by them so you have all not leary who are like secretly want to be navigators or secretly fascinated by what they know and what they have even though that knowledge is kind of like treated almost more like superstition by some of the people who are in charge i like that idea like any walnut can stumble through a gate you know what takes talent and training is using a sextant and <laughs> understanding ocean currents like that's hard yeah i like that like that requires work and dedicate like yeah it's good i also imagine depending on how many gates there are there might be a number of islands that just don't have a gate and so therefore Mm -hmm. they'd be like yeah that's not that's not a big thing for us because you still got to get on a boat to get to us not impressive (laughs) i don't know (laughs) Well, and all those fancy things they like to have, all the objects of their trade, those can't go through gates. Yeah. So. Right. What's the point? I mean, yeah, I can go through and, and negotiate a new trade agreement, but I can't even bring samples. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Everyone likes samples.
So we had several other fun concepts that we've played with over the past like dozen and a half episodes since we last messed around. So I wonder if we can do like a quick round of old school fuck Mary kill where I don't know maybe go round robin and throw them at each other and pick three concepts and say which one of these is going to be a tent pole which one of these is going to be fun and which one of these is going to be like no not gonna not gonna do it so uh on our grimdark episode anna smith spark gave us the idea of that within the world there is a thing and this you know might tied to some of the magical things behind the gates in the same thing where people will just vanish for a few days and then just reappear just you know like they just pop out and pop back in and in this has become enough of an accepted thing or at least you know that normalized thing that people are relatively unfazed it's like oh where's jim he popped out and then when they pop back, you know, <laughs> they just, you know, they just reappear. It's like, oh, I, I missed five days. That's inconvenient. But, you know, but it happens. Well, and the fun thing is, too, that because magic works differently in all our different corners of the world, you can choose to adopt this fully or make this something that's not really a part of your corner. So, Which is, I mean, I think one of the cool things we did with how we conceived this magic is we conceived it as... We, we give ourselves a lot of openings of how it can work in really different ways in different parts of the world with that but with the same base underneath it that all the world works kind of the same way but can manifest in very different ways so with this with this uh magical pop out Rowena fuck marry or kill I'm gonna marry it all I right. think that the islands are a place that it's, especially some islands more than others, you might disappear. You might get disappeared for a while, and then you pop back. And especially because it's it's not a particularly, like, climate harshness issue. Like, it's if you end up popping out in the middle of the woods somewhere, like, you're not going to end up freezing to death or something. So I, I don't feel mean about doing this. Like, I think it's workable so yeah i think that this is something that is happens to everybody might be in the middle of uh you know major negotiation for a uh, speculative venture and suddenly oops he's gone well we're gonna have to put this one on hold and uh we'll come back to it in uh two to five days because that's the average around here <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm adopting that one as a full-on something that's that's a part of, of the world and maybe also one of the reasons that they really I think I said their, their magic works on the idea of space between things and like kind of expanding and contracting things so that 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 fits in well with that time can just kind of fuck up on you and you disappear for a while because the space between things got very big and you fell through. Cass? Yeah, the Fjallanir are not standing for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is a hard kill for them. This would be just... A level of disruption to routine that they could not handle. That, no, no, they don't want that. They want no part of it. They are going to avoid parts of the world where this is known to happen. They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Immediately no, they say. Immediately no. I feel like there's a short story there where it happened once and threw everyone into chaos for a it was just, good it long was time. Just nationwide trauma. Yeah. They, they were not just not okay with it. Marshall? 
I definitely think it's, no, it's definitely a Mary. It is so very much a Mary because I think it, for the Grastons, like the idea that that the world is just weird like this and this just happens, I think it's something that they just deeply embrace and just be like, yeah, this is you know this is how things are. Everyone, you know, but they're also really good on like when it happens just like it's not it's not a big deal and like so somebody will vanish and like other people will be like oh i guess they vanished and do their thing and then when they pop back in be like so where were we we were talking about <laughs> and just jump right back in to wherever to whatever they were up to like nothing happened and i think they're i think they're really good at that level of like I don't want to necessarily say denial, but accept it. My question is, how often does that happen to people? And it's not that it doesn't phase anyone. It's that it just, they don't even notice. Like, I just assumed he was on another island licking some snails. I, I didn't well, realize he vanished. Certainly the idea that, like, somebody just might fuck off for five days or vanish for five days. Like, <laughs> these these are kind of intertwined things. Like, neither one of them is, like, a particularly confusing <laughs> thing to them. It's like... Like, wasn't he supposed to be here for this meeting? He was, but you know how things are. But I think well, also and, 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 you know, he's it, either it, it, really high <laughs> or he got he got popped somewhere. Yeah, but I think not sure. Like we'll when somebody out, pops in front of them, they're like, like they could be mid sentence and be like, "Well, we'll get back to that later." <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if, if it's a high disappearing rate, pop out area it kind of helps to explain why griastons are the way they are like this is yeah this is they, they are a yeah. fun-loving fantastic people but it's also a bit of coping mechanism <laughs> life is uncertain enjoy it while you have it because you might just blip out at any moment and and the idea of like we all really have to prepare for this meeting in three days like if they've embraced the idea i might not be here in three days I mean, I just might not. <laughs> so why should we make a big deal about the meeting? <laughs> planning, I think, I think not their strong suit. Cause... Yeah, you embrace not planning because you never know what might happen. So therefore, why get too invested in a plan? All right, so I've, I've got one. Um, when we had Shannon on, our topic was otherworldly and portals and moving back and forth through places. And I think that we've kind of decided in our world, we don't have any firm answers on, is there something on the other side of the veil? Are the gods real? Anything like that. But I'm curious to what extent those concepts or beliefs of having an other world or having another side of the veil or having, you know, some kind of other unseen space exists for your culture so let me go to cast first fuck mary kill see this touches on the things i haven't thought about enough which is like the religion and my instinct is to take it i don't know at least like long-term relationship <laughs> because i feel like for the the fialaniri i'm if i'm thinking about them and, and the fact that they're like these people are like half dutch half egyptian in my head and the egyptian culture was very much about that like next world 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 beyond but it was also an extremely codified other world like the way you accessed it happened in this order and your immortal soul does these things and you have to have these things with you and you have to say these words and like i feel like the fialinary would vibe with that i feel like they are very open to the idea of other worlds underworlds nether worlds but there have to be rules 
Like, they, they would not want, like, the chaos of a fey world. Mm, not their bag. But rules that, the worlds that they're, there are rules about accessing in a certain way, in a certain way that, like, you go about preparing for it. And I think that would be where they would see the idea of other worlds happening. I like that. That makes sense. And it's part of, like, the balance, too. Like, for, for the Egyptians, it was all about, like, the sort of, like, the, the transit of the sun. And, like, the sun goes through our world in the day and then the other world during the night. And they probably have some ideas along those lines, too. Marshall? Yeah. Like Cass, I'm leaning more towards that, you know, long-term, long-distance open relationship sort of vibe rather than fuck or marry. <laughs> <laughs> We're bad at this game, yeah. but that's okay. That's not a choice. But, like, I think for the Grastons... Tying into how they see both the gates and the, the vanishings is I think that they they intrinsically believe that there is some sort of other space layered upon the world. Because whenever you go through a gate or whenever you vanish, you are someplace where you are not. And like, what is that? And so I think that there are, I think they, they do like to spend a lot of time philosophizing about what is like where do you go and what is this other space and and you know because nobody who vanishes and pops back has any like recollection but then it's like what is what is this space what is time in this space what is distance in this space i think there's things they like to think about but i don't think and i think it is something they they believe on a deep intrinsic level that like because basically there is evidence it's like there must be something or at least there's solid evidence like things about like where do you go or what do you pass through to get through the gate but it isn't it isn't uh any sort of like sacred or religious base to it it is it is more of a big philosophical question that they that they like to think about a lot and that they all believe is real but they the nature of that reality they don't they don't invest emotional energy or spiritual energy into that i can imagine there being a lot of like crazy conspiracy theories about what happens to you when you get blipped like when you get blipped it's because you've been called upon to act as an angel in another realm or you've been i don't know drafted into some netherworld army for a day or whatever like all kinds of crazy stuff that they just be like i don't know it could be and i imagine there is in probably in more than one area there is shall we say a culture of lying about like i was blipped and this is what happened to me and tells you know (laughs) it's like no nothing happened to you but you know cool story bro (laughs) (laughs) sort of like the alien abduction stories but you could also see it, like I could also see that being like a game with your people even like like campfire stories yes. like I'm going to start this blip story and then you have to pick it up and then the next person picks it up and we're going to see how wild we can make this blip story be. That'd be fun. I'd play that at Girl Scout camp. I would. Yeah. But I think I think for the Grassons they've embraced that you're somewhere else and don't know the nature of it, but that that somewhere else is a real thing and and so it has a lot of intellectual curiosity but not necessarily religion or anything like that i think for al not lear it's it's solidly fuck at one time it may have been more of a mary that the idea of like oh. other worlds were a very strong part of the culture and especially since they're a blip heavy area like the idea of like where are you going was like really important to them 
but it's held on in terms of kind of like folklore and aesthetics and art. So now it's kind of like, it's the fuck buddy that you call when you want a little dose of nostalgia. Because... You, you divorced, but at the same time, <laughs> the sex is still good. So you still go it, back. Yeah, it's good. You still go back to it. So I think that it hangs on a lot of like, like folk tales, like the stories you tell little kids about like, you know, don't wander too deep in the woods or you're going to slip into kind of like a, a sort of fae-esque other world. When people blip out, like, you know, it's it's because the, the Fae have stolen their souls temporarily or something. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of their aesthetics play with this idea of other worlds. And they like playing with, like, what might look to us like Art Nouveau or kind of like Art Deco sort of, like, impressions of ideas. And they're like, yes, because we like to play with this idea of what would this look like on the other side of the veil kind of fun pretty artistic stuff they think of music as a way to like reach across the veil or play on the different like tenors of of planes of existence and this is what they talk about they don't really believe it but it's a way of talking about it and wrapping it up in a pretty aesthetic all right so i think it's my turn to come up with a a topic and i'm actually going to use the one that marie brennan gave us um in the deep history episode which is the domestic house architecture the, the example that Marie used was, you know, when we put the smoke hatch in the roof, we're going to put it where in a particular season you can see a certain constellation. But I think we could expand that concept to, you know, something about your domestic architecture that lines up with a natural phenomenon in some way. Maybe it's the sky, maybe it's something else. So, fuck, Mary kill. I, I, like, I like architecture. I don't know why. Like, I'm not... It's a fun to think about, but I also think I don't know anything about, really. Um... Well, I can go first while you're thinking. Okay, you go first. I think for the Fjallanari, this would be a, a solid fuck because they would like the idea of it. They would like the idea of tracking things like two constellations and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's very cold there. So having a big hole in your roof, not great at all times of year. So it might be something where like there's a shade that you can open and, and maybe like the, the star that's in the right place during the summer is one that can be seen. They might also like other natural phenomenon. Like I feel like geothermal heating is probably a good thing for them. So it's it's normal for them. It's not like a big deal, but that's a lot of how they do their construction and stuff is is making use of natural heating sources. I'm I'm gonna say this is a a solid fuck and only only not a merry because I don't see it as being tent poly, but as like kind of like aesthetic and flavoring. But I think that the Almut Leary, they build their houses to fit into the environment that they're in so like you put a window facing this direction because you have a view of the ocean you put an alcove here to accommodate the beautiful tree outside that blooms every spring and you make sure that you can see it from your favorite reading nook and because there are seafaring people i think that having things like like sort of angled you know windows or skylight kind of situation where you're like i can see that constellation rise would be something they would be like oh yes please do build that into my house i would i would enjoy that very much so i think that it's not um it's not a tent pole so i can't call it a mary but i think that they would embrace that idea of like wrapping up natural phenomenon in how they designed their houses and having things like yes on the you know 
winter solstice, I want the sun to line up with this pillar in my house so I can see down the loggia and see it come up. Yes, that would be absolutely brilliant. And it's not even like a religious thing. It's just like a, this tickles my fancy. And I think it would be a lovely thing to have incorporated into my house. Architecture for the vibes. Totally vibing. So I kind of want to say Mary here in terms of at least it's a tentpole of their architecture in that I I think it'd be the sort of thing where because it is a very warm culture and there's probably a lot of sun, but you know, as the sun moves through the sky on any given day, you're going to want to like move where your shading is because, and you know, they're, they want relative ease of like, Oh, now I have this incredibly bright light coming through this window and I don't like it when, when that happens. So I think in their architecture, they've normalized having all these like shades and umbrellas and things that are integrated into the house and there's like series cranks and levers so you can easily like move one thing to a different position once you know at in the middle of the day or something like that so that when you want to change how the shade is it's designed to be relatively easy to do that as an integrated part of the household as opposed to like spending your life fighting to get the blinds in the right, right. position and <laughs> Yes, exactly like that. So that, which can happen. Yeah, I could also see that playing like in an in an art in an artistic way too, like designing house elements so that shadows cast interesting Ooh, shapes yeah. at different points in time. Like, like that can be a whole come to my house, you know, an hour before sunset and see what I've you know see what I've ha- designed to lay out on the floor. It you know so. Ooh, they might. Ooh, they might integrate also like stained glass windows and things like, like that. Like it's very ephemeral art, right? But, but like it is a thing ooh, of like, like, like look how I set it up, and everyone comes and they like see look at the floor, and everyone claps, and then you know they they go and have more drinks. But you know, it's a good excuse to invite a bunch of people over to the house. I, I was even thinking of like a potential pickup line, right? Like. <laughs> I've got the Griaston version of "Come See My Etchings." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like Netflix and chill. No, I've got shadow play on the floor and chill. <laughs> Except they never need euphemisms. Just, no. <laughs> do you want to see the shadow play on my floor, and then we have sex? <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. On the floor or not? That's. <laughs> or we can do it the other way around. It's it's fine. But we have to time it Wednesday with for... the sun, with the shadow thing. Right. So just right. keep that in mind. It's going to be, yeah. The sun won't be in place for like half an hour. So, you know. Depends how you want to. I like it. But yeah, I think I think it is a very integrated part in how they design their houses. I like that. It's fun. I feel like we had fun. I feel like we did. Yeah. That was good. That was good. I feel like we spent more time on the MNG. As we always do. Than anticipated. <laughs> but. You know, and, but and it is a tentpole. We have to. We, we, we have really have to. to to hammer some of those things out. And I think that we we owe ourselves and our listeners that subway map of the MNG at some point. So I don't know. We're we're gonna get there. Maybe uh, get there. maybe that can be the, the the big launch at some point early season four. We'll do another MNG episode and <laughs> hash all that stuff out. I mean that was a lot of fun. We came up with a lot of good ideas, and there's still so much more we can do because I think that's. I think that's one of the great things about the sort of world builders that we are, that on some level, you're never done. There's no, like, stopping. You can always add more. But 
there is also like you know you can always come up with fun new things you can do and so I think this and it's always wonderful to have wonderful brilliant people to bounce these crazy ideas off of that's why I'm so grateful to have the two of you in my life well we have fun we sure do Hi you! Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up on April 27th where we'll be talking about what makes a nation, nationalities, and national identities. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come and chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.